0: Thank you for downloading our podcast. The prophet Hosea receives a strange command from God. The Lord tells him to take a woman of the night to keep it clean. He is to marry a woman who does not protect the marriage bed. And he is to build a house with this unfaithful woman. How can the Lord order a prophet to do something contrary to what God has revealed in other places in his word? What is the purpose of this book? Overall, what is a prophet Hosea Teaching us. So, as I mentioned, we start a new uh, series on this book or this prophecy of Hosea. Not necessarily uh, a book that we're probably overly familiar with. I think many times we can read this book and and wonder what to do with it. The name Hosea is actually very close to Joshua. In the original language, it's Hosea, and Joshua is Yeshua. And so, if you say them quick enough, their names sound similar. They do have similar meaning that uh, Hosea uh, is a meaning of Savior or safety, as sort of the connotation, whereas Joshua means Yahweh saved. So, there's an overlap in meaning here. And it's sort of interesting when, when you bring out the implication that uh, the Lord is the one who is safety or Savior, and He calls this man, Hosea, to to fulfill this. When you read this prophecy, you you really don't find a concrete gospel promise until the end. There's stuff littered throughout here, sure, but it's really at the end where where you have the assurance that the Lord will heal the apostasy of his people. And so when we ask this, or or when we look at this and and we hear of this prophet's name being safety or savior, We may want to know how can this prophet be safety or savior uh, when it's really presenting God as a rather uh, wrathful, uh, angry God who brings about his justice. How how can he really be uh, a savior who brings about redemption? And so as we consider this, what we'll see first, a unique prophet. We'll see secondly, a prophet's problem. And lastly, we'll see his prophetic children. So let's begin with a unique prophet. Uh, we've mentioned in the introduction, his name means Savior, safety. And we have the, the word of the Lord coming to Hosea, something that wouldn't surprise us. And he's commanded to go and to take a wife who is promiscuous. Uh, she will not be committed to this marriage. Uh, that's this explicit command of God. And so right here, when, when we hear this call of Hosea, sort of the elephant in the room is how can the Lord uh, call a man to live out something so extreme that um, it just seems that this undermines everything that God has established and, and God has commanded in terms of marriage. But the reality is when, when we look at the prophets, and by the time the prophets start acting out their message, we, we've gotten to a place Where Israel is hardened to the word of God. Uh, The Lord's people no longer hear the word. And so it needs to be presented to them so they truly understand the severity of this. Uh, We can see this example or these examples with other prophets. Uh, We think of Isaiah 20, verses 3 and 4, where Jerusalem's enamored with the Egyptians. Isaiah is one who is commanded. Uh, to walk naked, which you think is rather strange. Why would a prophet uh, be walking naked around this this area and this vicinity? It seems contradictory. But the point was to show what the Lord is going to do to caution the Egyptians. They will be unclothed. They, they will be carried off and thoroughly humbled. We have Ezekiel, and there are several examples in Ezekiel where, where you have this. We think in particular of Ezekiel 4. Uh, where Ezekiel is commanded to lay on his right side and his left side, uh, showing and broadcasting the judgment that comes against Israel and Judah. Jeremiah 13, uh, Jeremiah takes a loincloth, he buries a loincloth, and he does this demonstration of of showing that the cloth is ruined and the pride of Judah and the pride of Jerusalem will be like this loincloth that's presented. So again, it's that visible picture of, of judgment that's coming. We think of Moses at the Exodus with you know the signs that he has, the signs of leprosy testifying to his authority. So there's many examples, and maybe you're thinking of other examples of the prophets doing these sorts of things. But the point is, when the word of, of Christ or the word of God no longer takes root and residence, that uh, the Lord has a prophet act out uh, this message. So sort of as an introduction, we're understanding that's Hosea's role. He is to act this out. So, so who is this man? Uh, what is his significance? Well, we mention Hosea as uh, deliverer, a savior. Uh, safety is sort of the implications of this name. The son of Bere, uh, this just simply means a, a spring, irony, Uh, This may be a a bit of an irony, and and the intention that you would think of Hosea being known as a man who probably lived by a well, or maybe his family um, had a lot of access to water, and so you think of the man having the spring of life, the spring of water, but it becomes a bit of an irony because he doesn't really bring uh, a a word of life, but but primarily a, a word of judgment, and so there could be an irony that the Lord intends there. Where this man lives, he lives in northern uh, Israel. But the significant thing is that you have the kings of Judah dating this man's existence. And so when you go through the the prophecy, you you find there he is in the midst of Israel, prophesying primarily against Israel. But it's an invitation for Judah uh, to take note, to watch what has happened, uh, even though the Lord promises to show mercy to Judah. Uh, the warning is what has happened to Israel can also happen to Judah, and so it's calling attention to them. In terms of of what's happened in in history, if you want to get the history and the background of Hosea, uh, you want to read 2 Kings 15 through 17. It's not a bad thing to maybe take a few minutes, skim through those chapters Uh, one day, maybe another day, read them more in detail, and then uh, before Sunday, or in a couple weeks, skim through them again, just to kind of get the overlay of what's going on. And basically, the, the thing that's, that's going on is you've already had Amos, and you've had Joel. Uh, so you have Amos in the northern kingdom, Joel in the southern kingdom, uh, Judah primarily, bringing the prophecy of what God is going to do. So there's, there, there's a word that's gone before Hosea, so when we get to this point, it's not like the Lord has been silent uh, uh, concerning the, the warning of what's going to happen. The kings in the history of this time, if you read 2 Kings 15-17, through 17, you'll find that basically there, there's been a lot of political ambition. Uh, what was warned uh, when Israel wanted a king and you know, Samuel said, listen, the king's going to come in. He's going to send your kids to war. He's going to tax you. He's going to exploit you. And Israel said, we want a king like the nations. So he said, okay. So you get a king like in the nations. Well, what has happened in the northern kingdom is they have kings exactly like the nations. Uh, these are kings who rule by political ambition. There is no... Uh, real regard for, for the Lord or tenderness to the Lord's purpose. No consciousness uh, that Israel is to be a, uh, basically a, a model of heaven on this earth for the nations to observe. Uh, we know that as we look at these kings, we have Jeroboam II, who's done evil in the eyes of the Lord. As Hosea is situated in this kingdom, they've basically abandoned uh, Yahweh worship. Uh, they worship Baal's. Uh, and it's just pure political ambition, assassinations, all sorts of things that, that happen that should not happen in the context of God's people. And so when Hosea comes, we have him in a day of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. This is a situation where this king, by the Lord's revelation, is done evil in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, it's, it's not a great time in, in terms of history. And so what, what is the issue of what's going on with this prophet? This is where we get more into the, the details of what he's acting out. That we, we hear this command that, that comes of this, this man. The Lord spoke through Hosea. Nothing shocking there. You, you read the prophets. This is what they do. They come to the Lord. They bring the word of the Lord. And they bring it to the people. But he doesn't give him a word. You know, the other prophets say the word of the Lord came to him and the Lord said, and then you you have the word. But now you have the Lord coming to this this man and saying to him, take a wife, a wife who is promiscuous, to to put it delicately. The ESV actually brings the original language out very well. That's that's exactly what the Hebrew text says. Uh, The Lord doesn't beat around the bush. That this is a, a woman that is not going to be faithful a woman who has no commitment to the marriage. Now, what's sort of subtle in the text is he doesn't tell him who to marry. In other words, he doesn't say, go to this man's house, find this woman. So the implication is, because some commentators will say, well, this is bagging on women or this is bagging on men. The reality is it's not. It's telling us the status of Israel. The implication is he goes and he finds a woman, and this is the status of all Israel, that it's promiscuous. There's there's no commitment to the command of God. So he finds this woman named Gomer. Her name means finished, complete. Uh, Obviously, there's an irony there that's subtle, but it's also talking about the reality of where Israel is. Israel's finished. God's patience has run out. And so as he takes this wife, uh, some say, well, who is this woman? Well, some individuals say that this woman would be a a temple prostitute, a a prophetess of Baal, to put it in very nice sanitary language. Um, The reality is we we have a story that's a backdrop to this. We think of the story of Judah and Tamar, uh, not something we're necessarily proud of in terms of covenant history. I'm sure Jewish people are not proud of this, but Tamar is actually mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. And you have this story in Genesis 38, and as we jump back here for a moment, I'll tell you why this is relevant. Judah goes, he goes to a foreign land, and uh, you find that he, he discovers this uh, prophetess of Baal, or what we would say is a temple prostitute. And he, he uh, enters into a transaction, he agrees to give her a goat uh, when the transaction is finished. Uh, he doesn't have a goat so he leaves his scepter with her so he thinks everything's fine he goes back and he asks specifically where is the temple or the cult prostitute Uh, the people of the city say well there is no cult prostitute that's here well the report comes to him that his daughter-in-law has acted promiscuously Uh, she has not been faithful and so he says we'll execute her we we got to burn her i i can't believe she's done this and when uh She's brought into the court. It becomes rather ironic, you know. She stays quiet and she says, oh, by the way, whose scepter is this? And Judah realizes, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is my daughter-in-law. I'm the one who's done this. Now, the reason this all transpires, you know, she actually becomes a type of Christ. She endangers herself. She goes to a kangaroo court and she's ultimately vindicated. But continuing the line of Judah because you have Judah and his sons do not want to continue the Messianic line. She endangers herself to continue that line. Now, why this is a relevant story for the backdrop of Hosea is because there are two words used in the Hebrew language. Uh, You have a specific word for a cult prostitute that we have Judah requesting, and then you have a specific word for just uh, someone of loose morals, if you will. And so that's the, the two words that are used. Uh, So, when Judah makes a request, he's asking for the cultic uh, prophetess, to put it delicately, and it's reported that actually she is a promiscuous, uh, immoral woman. And so, both words are used. So, generally, when we come back to this text, there is no identification that Gomer is associated with Baal worship in any way. She is just going to be a promiscuous woman. And that's what Hosea is to understand is his life. And the Lord says, you've got to build a house with this woman who is not committed to you. Why is that? Because of the land and the people of God. Now, there's something else about uh, this identity that that we have with this, this woman. That as he's to build this house, he's to show the reality of what Israel has become. That's the picture here of the Lord is saying, I've sent my prophets, I've expressed my frustration. This is who you are. This is who you are as a people. And That's why it's very important the language is not cleaned up in the original text. It's very blatant. Israel's pursued everything they're not supposed to pursue. Israel has made a mockery of the Lord's name. And that's the reality of what's going on here. So the Lord's saying, basically, I've pursued you, I've pursued you, I've pursued you, and you've run away. You've looked to everything else for your comfort, and you've run away. So as we have this man who's to take this woman, and as he takes this woman, uh, basically... Hosea plays the role of God, Savior. Gomer plays the role of Israel, being the the harlot, the one who pursues all sorts of immoral things and has no commitment to the family. So it's important. This isn't a male-female problem or intention of the text teaching us these sorts of things. It's important to understand that role play. Gomer represents the people of God, pursuing everything they're not supposed to pursue, A savior, rescuer, coming to his people and his people continually uh, going against him. So now when when we go on and say, okay, so what about these children and and what does this mean? Well, we have these children that are named here. Uh, We have three children. Uh, We have verse 3, Jezreel, which means scatter. Notice there's something subtle in the text. ESV does a great job of bringing this out from the original language as well. She bore to him a son, verse three, Jezreel. She bears a daughter, Lo Rakamah, which means uh, basically no mercy. So she bores, she bore a daughter. Then we have she bears a son, Lo Ami, not my people. Now we might say, well, what's important here? First child to him. Other two children. They're just children. We don't know if they're Hosea's children. We don't know if they're children from someone else. So we just know that she has children. Hosea is called to take these children that may not even be biologically his and name them, which means that that in a subtle way in the text, you may say, well, Hosea, it's nothing but depression, nothing but hatred. You see the tenderness of God played out there, don't you? Even though these children mark who this woman is and mark who Israel is, you still have the Redeemer naming them, claiming them as his children and being responsible for them. So right here is a subtlety. God's purpose is not done with his people, even though it seems that it is done. So what do these names mean? Well, these children also take on a prophetic picture. We have Jezreel, which means God sows. Now, normally when we think of sowing, this is good. Uh, You know, Christ uses a parable of the sower of sowing the seed, the gospel going out in the different ways that the gospel takes root. But sowing can also be something that's negative. Uh, We have the sowing of of Israel in terms of scattering them throughout the the nations, the the exile, uh, bringing other nations against them. And so this scattering here isn't something that's positive. Because the Lord calls our attention the story of the valley of Jezreel in 2 Kings uh, 10. Now Jehu is one who does uh, put down the, the false worship, and he does seem to have an ambition that's in line with the Lord. So some people say, well, everything that happened in that valley wasn't necessarily bad. But when you go on in the story and you find in verse 31 that he didn't do everything right. Uh, he still ruled by his own ambition. And so you have the Lord bringing Assyria and Babylon as the forces that God will use to basically squelch the ambition of his people, as Isaiah prophesies in 10 verse 47. And so this scattering is a reminder that it's going to be on that day. There's a particular day when you're going to be marched out of the land. Judah's to take note. Look, uh, Israel lost sight of me. They're getting scattered and marched out of the land. Same thing can happen to you. And so the first child, Jezreel, prophesying exile, prophesying judgment, prophesying God's action. We have then the next child. It's lo Rakamach, which means no mercy. And this is a terrible name. It's a tragic name. If you really think about this, it means the Lord is no longer going to show mercy. And you think about the implications of no longer having mercy. You just think, wow, how do we come before the Lord? And the, the text, the, the original text, has, has something that's even more subtle. Because this name, Raham, which means mercy, the womb is Rahem. And so when you say this quickly in the Hebrew language, it sounds very similar. Uh, because the reality is there's no Rahem and Rahem. And so when you hear that, you say, well, what does that mean? It means there is no compassion in the womb. Think about the significance of that. When, when you have Nicodemus and Christ and her interaction and talking about new birth, it's the Lord saying there is not going to be a seed and error is going to be cut off. The seed of the woman has to continue through the covenant line. And the Lord saying there is no longer going to be compassion in the womb. And so it's again, it's not something against women. This is a reminder of how the Lord's viewing his people. No new birth, no new life. This is a scary thing. So when you hear this declaration that there's going to be no mercy, the Lord is saying, You have pushed the boundaries so much. There is no mercy. But I'll show mercy to, to Judah, and I'm not going to deliver them through their schemings like with Ahab. But I'm going to make sure that whatever happens, they know it is me who has done it. It's not going to happen through another means. We have then the last uh, child where she weans no mercy, and then she has loami, which is what it is in the Hebrew. And that means not my people. This is a sad thing because the promise was that the Lord would consecrate and set a people unto himself. And now the very people identified with Jacob that God has wrestled with and Jacob wrestled with God and his name was changed to Israel, I've wrestled, I've prevailed, That the Lord's no longer going to wrestle with his people. His people are done. They don't want to wrestle with the living God. They will be cut off. So when we hear this declaration, you are not my people, I am not your God. What a harsh and difficult thing. and What a strange place to end in terms of this prophecy. But there is something here. Because what do we do here? First, we have to understand the unique place of Israel. They were called to be a a model of heaven. Israel, as a national people, were, were to be that picture of heaven, like we learned from Hebrews, right? It's the prototype showing the ultimate production model shining down. But secondly, the Lord has also issued several warnings. Hosea is not the first prophet. He's the one who's acting this out. And he's acting this out showing that Israel has has gone away. Israel has lost sight of their God. But it's also thirdly, warning individuals that when Christ walks this earth, what does John the Baptist say? We'll get into it a little bit this evening as well. Israel says we have Abraham and the prophets. John of Beth says that, that doesn't matter if we have Abraham and the prophets. That, that doesn't establish a true covenantal lineage. That doesn't establish who you truly are. That just state some of your history. And so what do we do with this? How do we and take comfort in this? So, on the one hand, we, we can say, well, uh, we wonder if we've done enough to please the Lord. You know, maybe God's really upset, maybe I'm low on me, and, and maybe there's no hope. What, what, what's the hope? Or we can go to the other side of this and, and go to such a radical grace, say, well, you know, this is just the Old Testament when God gets angry and impatient, and, and that's just a scenario, and, and that's not what we're under now. Well, obviously, neither of these scenarios are, are positive or, or good. Another way to take this when we go to Hosea and we read this is to think about what the Apostle Paul says, that Israel is a pedagogue, right? He mentions this in Galatians 3, verse 25. And what he means by that, and we've talked about this before, is, is a pedagogue, basically where we get teaching. You know, I like his pedagogy, we, we might say, comes from the Greek, which just means teaching, instruction, discipline. That when when you have this Israel being a pedagogue, it's teaching us something. And as it's teaching us something, it's using the analogy of what you would have with a a very wealthy uh, landowner or somebody who has a very uh, prestigious estate. Uh, They could afford to hire someone or to have a slave uh, would be a proper way. They would buy a slave to actually train up their children uh, to know how to function in terms of of their class of society, knowing how to talk to adults, knowing when to address adults, if you can, if it's appropriate or not, knowing what things are appropriate to say at appropriate times, how to conduct yourself at banquets, basically making sure that when the child grows up, the child knows how to function well in society and and can bring honor to the family name. That, That was the purpose of the pedagogue. And so Israel, being the pedagogue, when when Paul calls us to our attention, they're kept under all these rules and and, and regulations, these these types and these shadows that are going on. And so the purpose of Israel is to teach us. And it's to teach us something about who God is. And it's to remind us in a very real way. So so I, I don't want to minimize Hosea because it is reminding us of something very real. if we push the boundaries of grace god can get to a point where he'd say you want that here you go here's your sin i'll hand you right over to it you can have it completely you can wallow in it and you can find everything that it is and and you don't want to get to that place that's where israel is and what we hear but we also know that the lord is one who disciplines As, as i've mentioned these children Hosea doesn't know if these children are necessarily his children. They, they might be. They, they might not be. He doesn't know. We don't know. Uh, the text is ambiguous, I'd argue, for a reason, because we're supposed to say, I, I don't know who these people are. But it doesn't matter. Because when Hosea names the children, that's a father claiming possession of that child. I don't mean possession in the sense that the child's some sort of an object but possession in a sense of ownership, and a sense of I am the father. I am the one who bears the responsibility of raising up this child. So when Hosea names these children and have tragic names, I mean, there, there's no getting around. They are tragic names. It is still Hosea showing that the Lord's rich mercy continues to orient him, which leads us to the end of the book when the Lord promises to heal the apostasy. So, what is the call for us? How do we know if we're Loami, not the Lord's people? How do we know if we're not to receive mercy or if we're going to be scattered? Well, the Lord does reveal it in another prophet. Because Micah says, What does the Lord really fundamentally want? Micah reminds us to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So when the Lord says, lo on me, for the last child, not my people. We have the story of Jacob and God wrestling. It's an important origin story for the people of God. Very important. Because we can think, well, wrestling means that we have to be feisty against God, right? He, He wants people to have some feist and some fight in them. But wrestling could also be what we see at the end of the story of Jacob on his back, dislocated hip, and saying, my goodness, I have looked God in the face and he could have killed me. And he didn't. He spared me. So when Micah tells us to walk humbly with your God, it's the understanding that our wrestling with God is not trying to overpower God, but is doing what Jacob had to learn in that moment of a submission to the living God of wanting to be informed with his will. The wrestling is a wrestling in our day-to-day life in wondering, what do I need to bring in line with the Lord's will? And so when Hosea comes on the horizon, he's not coming out of the blue. It's not where where the Lord has given one or two warnings to the people of God, and then he says, okay, well, now we're going to do this dramatic role play. No, this is the Lord getting their attention saying, listen, this is where you stand and you need to be careful right now. And so then how can this prophet who is called Savior or safety truly be the one who brings a promise of redemption when it seems the Lord's promise or purpose has failed? Well, as I've mentioned, Hosea naming the children means that the Lord has not forsaken His covenantal purpose. The intention is to instruct. The intention is to teach. Something that comes to us in a very real way, a very sobering reminder, to be honest, is a call for us not to push the boundaries of God's grace and to wonder how far we can wander back before the Lord snaps us back in. He'll, He'll pursue us. He'll bring us back in, but we got to understand we keep pushing the boundaries of his grace. He might give us what we want, only for us to find out, hopefully, that's not what we really want. And so this prophecy is a reminder that even as the Lord seems distant and going through this drama, he's showing that he's still pursuing his people. By warning them, by scattering them, and by also giving them a name. Claiming them when they have enacted as his children. Certainly setting that typology of others coming in that seem as unworthy heirs and successors. So let us then marvel at the reality that while there is certainly the warning, there's also that marvelous thing of the Lord adopting illegitimate children. Children that really have no right or claim to the promise. No right to call Him Father. No right to come to Him in and of themselves. But yet the Lord still names and calls His people. Let us then not challenge the goodness and graciousness of our God. Let us wrestle with the intention of what wrestling means of truly desiring to bring our lives in line with our God, walking humbly with our God, desiring to be instructed by our shepherd, seeking to conform to him, and being humbled in knowing that the Lord can send his people away if he so desires. But praise be to God that he is a merciful God. And even in these nine verses of warning, he still has not fully turned his back on his people. Let us find our comfort in our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope that you were edified and encouraged to this gospel message. Belgrade URC is a Reformed Bible believing church based in Belgrade, Montana. Please visit our webpage, urcbelgrade.com. That is, URC. B-E-L-G-R-A-D-E dot com. Our webpage will give you more information about our church and also allow you to utilize our sermon archive. Most of all, we hope to see you sojourning and fellowshipping with us each Sunday. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.